Technically Iowa is a Technology Association of Iowa podcast, highlighting innovators and tech leaders throughout the state. The Technology Association of Iowa is a statewide, member-based organization uniting Iowa's technology community by connecting leaders, developing talent, driving public policy, and fostering diversity and inclusion. The Technology Association of Iowa believes every Iowa company is a technology company. Visit technologyiowa.org to learn more and get involved. My name is Cassandra Kotek, and I will be your host for today's show. With us today talking about cybersecurity and manufacturing 4.0 is Aaron Warner, CEO of ProCircular. Thanks for being here today, Aaron. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite, Cassandra. Pleasure is all ours. So let's start with who you are and what ProCircular does. My name is Aaron Warner. I'm the CEO and proud founder of ProCircular. We're a cybersecurity and compliance firm. We help organizations to understand and manage their cyber risk. We're really about relationships and trust. And at the end of the day, we we really try to provide practical expertise and guidance to help the organizations we work with manage their risk and keep up with some of the latest cyber threats. So in terms of manufacturing clients, how have you seen those clients' needs shift in relation to the manufacturing 4.0 revolution? Manufacturing has always represented a unique set of risks. There's a high sensitivity to downtime. The bad guys know that it costs manufacturers a lot of money when uh, operations go down, and they use that time uh, against manufacturers. The other thing that increasingly, and this is really in the last six months, has been their dependence on supply chain. So the vendor cybersecurity risk is one that has really been mentioned a lot by our, our the clients that we support in manufacturing. They may have their security together. They may be locked down tight. But if their vendors or the companies that they depend on have, have major gaps, it can be just as bad as the company itself leaving the back door open. So the manufacturing 4.0 strategic priorities include improving those supply chain linkages. That's a big piece of the puzzle to make sure that those suppliers are secure and that they're not exposing the manufacturers themselves to additional risk. So chat with me a little bit about how you educate those clients about adjusting their mindset to understanding the importance of cybersecurity, the importance of protecting supply chain and all those business secrets that they don't want anyone else knowing. We usually start with the company's goals. A lot of cybersecurity firms like to jump in and talk about technical solutions or really get right into the what are your greatest risks. We actually take a step back and we want to know what the company wants to accomplish. Uh, Are they a company that grows through acquisition? Are they a company that grows organically by, you know, your sort of traditional word of mouth? Those are different strategies. And the cybersecurity impact uh, of each of those is, is pretty different. So we like to understand what the organization wants to accomplish and then try to build uh, a cybersecurity program or a compliance program around kind of the unique needs of, of that organization. When it comes to manufacturing, we hear some pretty common threads when it comes to downtime, protecting the staff. Manufacturers tend to have 
a large number of employees who may or may not be very technically savvy. So you really want to address that risk in addition to all of your sort of traditional physical risks and technical risks. They they have, in their manufacturing lines, they tend to have all kinds of different devices that sometimes you just have to learn to live with and secure in, in kind of a unique way. So those are just a few of the things that, that we take into account when we work with, with manufacturers. I'd love to delve into that answer a little bit more and learn what your thoughts are and what you recommend as far as being a part of a company's strategic plan and how often do you check on that strategic plan and adjust the cybersecurity goals? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Cassandra, because it's uh, cybersecurity is really a business thing. It's not a technical issue. It's not just something that the IT department should have to handle. It's it's something that that everybody and particularly senior management needs to be a part of. It fits into the strategic planning process because it enables the organization to focus on its goals rather than everybody being distracted from what they're supposed to be doing and dealing with some kind of a cybersecurity issue. Certainly. When it comes to the strategic planning piece of it, we don't usually have a a specific dollar number in mind so much as something that works in concert with their goals and build a, a security plan that both allows the flexibility that you need in manufacturing, in, in modern manufacturing especially, but also make sure that those I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Usually for a client who is is just kind of getting started or maybe has an early cybersecurity program in place, they've done some firewall stuff, they've done some VPN stuff, but they don't have a program together, we'll usually start with kind of the blocking and tackling. Things like, is the backup system functional? Not just do you have it, but does it allow you to restore your data? Looking at things like uh, two-factor authentication to make sure that the hacker has to have not only something you know, which is your password, but also uh, something that you have, a physical device of some sort that prevents them from logging into your systems remotely from anywhere in the world. So those are just a couple of examples, but we really start with the fundamentals. Honestly, it's a lot, the relationship with your cybersecurity firm should be a lot more like your relationship with your doctor, where it's not just one event. You don't go in and say, oh, the doctor cleared me, so I'm good for the next decade. It's more about the sort of changes in your life, the changes in the environment. We want to be there for you to call and say, you know, I've, I've got this thing that I heard about. What do you guys think? We want to be there through thick and thin with, with the client. It's really a long-term relationship, and it's definitely part of that strategic planning process year to year. Great. Focusing on manufacturing cybersecurity goals and measures, how do those differ from other industries? Yeah, I mentioned a few things. The sensitivity to time is something that is a, a little bit unique. Manufacturers, they tend to have all kinds of different pieces of equipment that they inherit. For example, if they're using a lathe or a CNC machine, those devices may run on some pretty archaic 
applications. They may have, they may run on like Windows 95. And while you're never going to get lucky trying to secure Windows 95, there are ways of isolating that device from the rest of the network so that it can do what it needs to do without having to expose that system to additional risk. I'll, I'll go back to the vendor piece of it as well, making sure that the vendors are tested and that you trust their results. Pretty much any vendor that you work with will send you back a questionnaire that says, yep, we're all good. And that's usually the vendor that gets hacked. So being able to go in and audit or finding a partner that will go in and audit your your key vendors to make sure that they're going to be there with you. Because you know a lot of these companies, without without that solid vendor in place without their vendors being secure, they're just as open if they if they had made the mistake themselves. Sure. So thinking about those companies that come to you reactively after a manufacturing cyber breach and those coming to you proactively prior to a potential attack, what are you consistently seeing between those that are reactive and those that are proactive? That's a good question. The the clients that come to us proactively are frankly, are usually the ones that we know they're going to need to prepare for an incident, but the likelihood is is far lower. The, the ones that, that, that only figure out that cybersecurity should be a priority after they have a bad guy in their system, they tend to want to make a lot of change in a very short period of time. So it can be a, a bit of a rush and it can be actually really expensive to take that to take that approach. We meet clients in in sort of both situations. Obviously, we, we really prefer to, to work with somebody to avoid that situation in the first in the first place. But a lot of the new clients that we get are companies who they've been hacked and the CEO of manufacturer A calls his friend at Company B and says, "Hey, you know, Susan, I, I, we're in real trouble. I don't think IT has this figured out. Who should we work with?" Inevitably, say per circular, and they they send them to us. So the time frame tends to be different. If you're proactive about it, you have some time to plan things out. You have some time to make change and get them get the changes scheduled in. Whereas, you know, if you have to call on that Thursday at 6.30 at night to say, hey, nothing has moved out of manufacturing all day and we can't figure this out. It can be kind of an all hands on deck situation. It can get expensive. And probably the most expensive piece of it is that it, just, it distracts you from getting done what you're trying to get done as a company. And it takes everybody away from meeting your strategic goals and focuses everybody instead on the cybersecurity event and how to keep that situation from arising again. So for those reactive clients or for anyone facing this, why would someone want manufacturing company data and what could it be used to leverage other than obviously dollars and money? What could it be used to leverage? Sure. I mean, the the obvious one is that they want to get into uh, accounts payable and have accounts payable send them a check. The things that we see, and and this is true for a military, like DOD manufacturers as well, what they look for, I'll get a little technical here, inside of an ERP system or an MRP system, which is kind of where you plan out how you're going to manufacture something, there's a 
there's a concept called a bomb, a bill of materials. That bill of materials in that system is basically the recipe for whatever the widget the company is is making. State actors, and this is particularly true of China, will try and get into an organization to, to steal that bill of materials. And what they're looking for is a way to get an edge from a cost perspective. So they want to figure out how to build the thing that you're selling for $100 in a way that they can sell it for $50. So typically the first things to go from that bill of materials are any safety controls. They're like, well, these guys have 30 steps to make this widget and 15 of them are to keep their employees safe. Well, we don't care about that. So we're only going to do 15 of these things and it it saves them a ton of money and time in, in manufacturing. That's part of how they're able to to sell those knockoffs. So, in the case of intellectual property theft, that's that's usually how that how that goes down. The other thing that that manufacturers get targeted for, they have lots of endpoints. They have all kinds of little boxes and PLCs and computers, and and a lot of manufacturers, the the computers themselves. If you sit down and do the math. The computers and the, the little devices outnumber the number of people in the manufacturing company. Every one of those things can be used as a weapon in a denial of service attack. So uh, just as one example, we had a client that had just put a new video system in, and they had uh, 400 different cameras, and they were very excited to get this system up and running. It was a big investment for them. We happened to be doing a penetration test for them at the same time. And determined that every one of those cameras had already been identified and hacked and turned into little devices that were part of a, a hacker's command and control environment that they could use to then go hack somebody else. So the short version of that story is that sometimes it's not even about the company itself. It's not the fact that they're a manufacturer so much as it is that they have a large collection of little devices that can be used to go hack somebody else that the hacker actually really cares about. That's so interesting. I could ask so many follow-up questions. Moving on to broadband. So how have broadband restrictions reduced in Iowa manufacturers' capabilities to grow and adapt to this manufacturing 4.0 revolution? Well, Iowa's a big state, and it's easy to talk about Connectivity in Iowa City or in downtown Des Moines, it's easy to make the assumption that that connectivity is the same, and it's not. Uh, If you run a manufacturer in Clorinda, other than your local cooperative phone company, you may not have any options available. So my hope is that the broadband bill can support some of those manufacturers who are really the bread and butter of, uh, of our state, particularly the manufacturing side of of Iowa and that getting them that connectivity will both improve their ability to connect with the outside world, but also to hire people from all over the country, right? There's access to, there's no, no doubt that there's a, a shortage of a shortage of people in Iowa to fill some of the positions the manufacturers need. Hopefully that expands their reach as well, just as you're seeing like San Francisco or Boston reaching into Iowa to to hire people out. I hope that the opposite is true and it kind of levels the playing field for manufacturers in the state of Iowa. Great, great. So equal broadband for all essentially is what we're what we're hoping for. 
So what percentage of manufacturing companies in Iowa would you say are still using legacy operations models and how susceptible are they to cyber threats? You know, manufacturers, I think, particularly in owner-operator situations, some of this is still kind of new. I mean, there's a there's a, a valid question to be asked, like, well, what the hell? I run a plastics, an ejection plastics molding company, or I run a company that makes custom parts. What do the Russians have to do with me? Like, why would they target me at all? So I think there's still a little bit of a a little bit of catching up to do when it comes to to manufacturing, because frankly, it's an expense they're not used to dealing with. It's just not something that used has ever been top of mind for them before. Hopefully, we're successful, you know, Cassandra, through programs like this and and through our own efforts at, at ProCircular, in getting the word out and catching them ahead of time. Because again, not to be the guy to scare everybody to death, but it's a really bad day when you're going through this situation. And I, I can't say it enough. It takes everybody away from getting the stuff done that you really want to get done. Certainly. So the message through that is be proactive, be proactive prior to a potential attack. Yep. A penny of prevention and a pound of results or something like that. Yeah. It's it, getting getting ahead of the problem is is really the, the safest and and frankly, the, the least expensive way to, to work through some of these relatively new cybersecurity risks. Sure. So I think one of the biggest issues that I see is educating manufacturing clients, manufacturing companies about the cyber physical balance. I know you mentioned endpoints and that there's more endpoints than there are humans in manufacturing companies. So what what do you do, Aaron Warner, CEO of ProCircular, what do you do to teach and educate clients and non-clients about this cyber-physical balance that they have to strike to grow? Well, you know, we we don't sell on fear. It's really easy to go out and scare everybody to death. And I don't think that's productive. And frankly, I was a customer of this stuff. I, I ran a the computer systems and many millions of lines of custom code for a manufacturer. I worked for and, and ran a computer system for a company that did 55,000 custom products a day. So this is near and dear to my, my heart. I was a customer of this stuff. So I always liked to see the facts. Show me what my, what my real risks are. Don't talk to me about you know, what is the this one thing that happened once in the history of the world that could result in everybody being affected? Tell me about what my real risks are. Lay it out for me in a way that I understand what I'm getting myself into. Tell me what my costs are going to be. Like, be transparent. We try to do all of those things. And honestly, it, it's kind of refreshing when we work with clients because they're like, look, we we cut through so much nonsense in this in this conversation they're able to actually get to a place where they're making progress as opposed to messing around with sort of a lengthy sales process to get people comfortable with the idea we like to talk to them about their real risks and the the good news is sometimes the risks that they identify aren't necessarily the most expensive thing we have manufacturers come to us all the time 
and say, you know, I like this XDR solution or I'd like this specific technical solution. And we say, you know, we would love to sell you a quarter of a million dollar monitoring solution. That's something we do. We monitor 24-7. But let's take a look at those risks that you have and figure out whether that's the thing that is of greatest risk to you. Because they oftentimes they'll find, you know, you could do two or three things that don't cost a quarter of a million dollars and really move the needle. Two-factor authentication is one of them. They're not in manufacturing, but my favorite story there, Steve Flegel is the chief information officer for University of Iowa and University of Iowa Hospitals. They have every conceivable gadget within between the hospital and the school, every kind of computer and device and anything you can plug in. He put two-factor authentication in place. It took about two years, and there was a lot of groaning from pretty much everybody involved but he was able to cut his reportable cybersecurity incidents down by 70%, 70%. Cassandra, I, there are lots of things that I'd love to sell to manufacturers. Very few of them can move the needle that far in, in such a short period of time. So just, just one example of uh, applying your resources really well based on what your greatest risks are. And in that case, the greatest risk were the people who were logging into the computers themselves. So are you saying employees logging into the computers or? Yeah. And I get kind of religion around this topic. Again, I was a customer of this stuff for a long time. So some of our company, admittedly, is built around frustrations. I think that there's a lot of victim shaming when it comes to cybersecurity. You'll hear IT departments all the time say, well, if these idiots would quit clicking on things, you know, it would be wine and roses and we could all go back to work. The truth of the matter is at the manufacturer that I worked for, the idiots that everybody was talking about had MD PhDs. You know, the guy who ran the molecular genetics group who kept clicking stuff had an MD PhD from Harvard and MIT. Not an idiot. That's not a guy that, that you know, that, that anybody with a straight face can call a fool. Just wasn't well-trained and didn't know how to identify those risks. And Frankly, the hackers are really, really good at, at targeting people. So I think once you stop thinking about people, the victims of this stuff, as an adversary to a cybersecurity program or part of the problem and make them part of the solution, again, that's a, that's a really good way to change the dynamic and bring the people in the organization to the defense of the company that they work for. I'd rather have... 250 really well-educated employees being careful and thinking, being mindful about what they do than some really cool piece of hardware that I can stick in the rack in our server room. I think you'll get further with the 250 employees. Sure. I can definitely understand that. And I think aside from two-factor authentication, so aside from that and educating your employees, educating students if it's a campus. What other resources are available for manufacturing companies in Iowa to shift and evolve during this manufacturing 4.0 revolution? What can we leave listeners with today for some positive resources available to them? There are uh, a few great cybersecurity companies here in the state. All of those firms, I think, are, are capable of 
of helping out. I'm a little biased on the subject, admittedly, but there are some there are some really good firms here. There's some really good information available online. If you look at CISA, C-I-S-A, their guidance for manufacturers is excellent. IEEE actually has some really good manufacturing advice. And I'd say probably above all, NIST, which is the National Institutes for Standards and Testing, they were born from the world of manufacturing and and defense. And the guidance and the number of resources that they have available for manufacturers is excellent. And they've come a long way in in moving from like a 500-page document that you might use at NASA to a a two-page document that somebody in an IT department in a small manufacturer could take advantage of. I guess the, the third thing that I would throw out there, it's no secret that insurance companies are getting absolutely killed by this ransomware thing. I mean, the the math just doesn't work. If you take out a $2,000 policy and have to pay out $100,000 in ransomware, if that happens enough times, it's not a great business model. So insurance companies have been increasingly proactive in providing resources to the, the companies they insure to help them avoid getting getting attacked. I can I can pick on one. True North has been pretty progressive about that. So reaching out to your insurance broker and saying, hey, what do you have that can help me to get prepared for this stuff? It may have the added benefit of driving down the cost of your insurance. Those are just some of the resources, but you know, it can get complicated. That's sort of the role that a company like ours likes to fill. We like to be the Sherpa through all this and kind of an independent third party to help them you know, navigate these these waters to again to make sure that their limited time and limited resources are going into the into the right areas. Awesome. It's so great to hear from you, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show and chatting about cybersecurity and manufacturing 4.0 and the revolution that we are seeing in Iowa and across the world today. Thanks again, Aaron. Technically, Iowa is powered by the Iowa Economic Development Authority, dedicated to helping Iowa manufacturers remain globally competitive. Learn more at iowamfg.com.